Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast and add it to their library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or a coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. I want to take the time, first of all, to apologize to all of you for being a day late. This is the end of the semester here at the, here at the college, so you know we always have a lot of grading, a lot of registration stuff going on, enrollment drives are going on, so it caused me to be a little late today, or a little late this week with the podcast, so I apologize about that. And on the day that this podcast is being released on Tuesday, April 13th, I want to sit there and spend one second or one moment to say hello to my mom who's rested in peace. Tomorrow will make two years since she's left us. And we know that she continues to look after us. We, she continues to rest in peace and, and we continue to still feel the effects of her love and all the lessons that she shared with us. So mom, we love you, we miss you. And at that God appointed time, we will see you again in paradise. In the meantime, take care of all the family up there. Take care of my baby boy, Nanamdi. Take care of dad and kiss everybody for us. Thank you so much. We love you. This week, I also want to take the time to welcome all first-time listeners to Second Chance Coaching. I want to especially shout out our international audience and welcome our new listeners from Vietnam and Malawi. Thank you so much for joining us. Continue to listen and continue to support and reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You're joining Second Chance Coaching at a great time, because here in the month of April in the United States, it's Second Chance Month. Second Chance Month is a nationwide effort here in the United States to raise awareness of the collateral consequences of a criminal conviction and unlock second chance opportunities for those who have completed their sentences. This awareness, is, this awareness effort has been in effect in the United States since 2017 and is being led by Prison Fellowship. You can find out more about Prison Fellowship at prisonfellowship.org. When I was working on my doctorate, my dissertation focused on recidivism rates and post-release employment. The title of it is The Relationship Between Recidivism Rates and Post-Release Employment. And one of the consistent themes I found in my research was the Ban the Box initiative. Last week, I had the honor of being invited by Florida Atlantic University and their initiative on peace, justice, and human rights to discuss the Ban the Box initiative specifically as to how the initiative is applicable to college admissions and college admissions, the admissions policies that they have at Florida Atlantic University. But let's, before we get into that, let's get back to what Ban the Box is, because even though you're listening to this podcast, I don't want to assume you automatically know what Ban the Box is or what the Ban the Box initiative is. The simple explanation is that Ban the Box is the elimination of the conviction question. And that conviction question is basically, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And usually there'll be two boxes, one box for yes and one box for no, as the choices that one would have to fill out. Usually, if one checks off yes, most applications will ask for a further explanation. So you may have to write a letter or give a further explanation as to why you said yes as to if you've been convicted of a felony. In most ban-the-box states or municipalities, 
an applicant cannot be asked a conviction question or a background check cannot be completed or initiated until after the first interview is done with the applicant or a tentative job offer is made to them. The objective, whether one is applying for employment or housing or college admissions, is to really give the, the applicant an opportunity to allow their candidacy to be highlighted and displayed and featured rather than their criminal justice history. Now, let's go back to last week's discussion at, at Florida Atlantic University. I was joined with other higher education and criminal justice reform and reentry professionals about banning the box on college admission applications. It was a really engaging discussion with, with those professionals, faculty, staff, and students from Florida Atlantic University and from different universities and colleges across the state of Florida, and really talked about ban the box overall, should it be enacted at FAU, what other states are doing, what other colleges could or could not be doing. And many colleges and universities still do have the conviction question on their admissions applications. And there was a lot of discussion that was made regarding whether that whether, whether that question holds a basis for admission decisions for students, does it really make campuses more safe, and does it really discourage applicants from optimizing their second chance, you know, through education? Many of us on the panel threw a lot of statistics out there, and the panelists, including myself, spoke of educational journeys, post-incarceration, and the process of going through the examination of one's college application, where the university now or the college becomes um, the sole judge and determiner in the judicial process as to one second chance as it, be, as it related to education. I was fascinated by one story of one young lady who had her doctorate where she even said that she had to even lie on her application in order to get an opportunity to go to school. But when she had the opportunity to get a fellowship that was going to be paid for and it required the background check, she decided not to pursue the fellowship as part of her educational journey because she didn't want to go through the background check. Now she's successful. And of course, you know, she's able to tell that story. When I spoke on the panel, I described both sides of the process that I've been on. I've been an applicant to graduate schools, as well as being the designee for the Dean of Students Office, which usually is the one that handles um, these type of situations with students with criminal justice histories. And I've met with students who have, who have had criminal justice histories when they've applied to, to college. In my experience as a graduate student, when I applied to my second master's program and my doctoral program, I had to explain my background, provide a narrative letter explaining the situation. Of course, I had to check yes on the box. And in that process, I decided, well, you know what? I was gonna address the situation straight up. In my letter, I proclaimed my innocence. I did acknowledge my conviction. And I outlined my achievements since my conviction. And I was unapologetic and unashamed about my desire to pursue an, an education and pursue further degrees. In both instances, I was accepted into graduate school. But when after I was admitted and started school, no one from, those, from the institution ever spoke to me about my criminal justice history, whether it was to make a further inquiry as to what, what I wrote or even guiding or advising me through the process or through the program. At that point, I just felt it was pointless to dig up all my business if, all you, if you were not gonna give me any assistance or guidance through my matriculation in the program. But I have to be honest with you. Part of me was relieved that they let me go about my business and pursuing my education. But another part of me also felt violated that now my information, my pouring out my 
pouring out my feelings and reliving the trauma of being incarcerated and all the things that I had gone through up to that process and what I've gone through since then, that information is now documented on someone's desk or someone's files or saved in the cloud somewhere just for the purpose of knowing who I was. And there was really no follow-up up behind that. So I almost felt like it was pointless. Why did they have to know? And when I made these two points, there were fellow panelists who indicated two points that were just so, so profound. The first point that one of them indicated was that, how did we get to the place as a society where we felt that other people deserve the right to know that we were pursuing a second chance, that other people deserve the right to know about our criminal justice history? Where did we, when did we get to that place? A lot of people spoke about said, well, maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because it's, it's something that we've always done. Maybe it's some, maybe it's just because it's always been done. No one ever asked. And then the second thing uh, uh, someone said from the Florida Rights and Rights and Restoration Coalition, they indicated if the university or college is silent or unsupportive about one's reentry journey, did the university or college also then deserve to share in the glory or good press that the redemption story would give to them for that applicant. Profound, because I said, well, if you're not gonna support the applicant, why would you then take credit for their redemption as part of their journey? Now, of course, my answers were no to both questions. Now, for colleges and universities, studies show that we could lose up to two thirds of applicants due to the scrutiny of the conviction question. And when it comes to safety on campus, the majority of incidents have been shown by research, the Clery Act has to give us those, those statistics. The majority of incidents on campus, of criminal uh, incidents that happen on campus are from people who are not even students at the colleges. And if they are students, they're not, they didn't even have prior criminal justice history. So you wouldn't even have the quote unquote warning that one would think that you're getting when, you, when you're having someone fill out the conviction question on a college application. We know that research through the RAND Corporation that 70% of formerly incarcerated individuals can return to prison within three years of release for numerous factors. Primarily, it could be lack of employment, lack of entrepreneurial opportunities, um, education, housing, and of course, mental health. The same research cites that just education by itself, just education by itself, can reduce recidivism by 43%. Now, we didn't talk about employment. We didn't talk about entrepreneurship. We didn't talk about housing. We didn't talk about mental health. We just said just education by itself can reduce recidivism by 43%. So if we're in a society that's really looking to say, we're gonna rehabilitate folks and we're about second chances, then this is a, this is a great statistic to say, you know what? Education can reduce recidivism by 43%. So why would we not take advantage of doing these things? On the other side, as working as a designee in the dean's office, and there was a time that I played the role of an interim co-dean with, with, with another associate dean of mine at the time, I would meet with students who disclosed their criminal justice history on their admissions application. And then they would have to be mandated to meet with me or my colleague. And upon meeting with them, we would have to discuss the student code of conduct. What do they wanna do with their education? What do they wanna pursue? What do they wanna major in? And then after that conversation, we would then re release the disciplinary hold. Now, in that respect, I would always go a little further with the student. I would disclose to the student my criminal justice history, and then I would talk to the, 
talk to them more about to the level they were comfortable in talking more about as to what they wanted to do, what their journey was, what they wanted to utilize this education and how they wanted to optimize their second chance. And then I would offer myself as a resource and even inform them that now at the college that I work at, we have a prison leadership reform student club, which I serve as a club advisor. And then I continue to be a resource for them and the students that are in that club or really any students at the college period. I'm so grateful that I work at a college that supports that open access and second chances for our students. I really do hope we get to the point in, in the state of Florida that we will ban the box on college applications for state colleges and universities. I was very uh, thrilled and very um, humbled that one of my colleagues, Dr. Lucas Harriman, um, who did research with me in regards to this topic, joined the phone call and, and gave his, gave his uh, perspectives on a lot of the things we were talking about, ban the box. And one of the research, one of the things that we both did research on and we presented at a professional development conference at our institution was that if you take a class of 25 students, basically we said that the amount of students that applied and acknowledged during the 2018-2019 academic year, and if you took a, and if, and it, that acknowledged that they had a criminal justice history, if we took those amount of students and divided them up into classes of 25 each, we would have enough students to fill 38 to 54 sections of courses. 38 to 54 sections of students, 25 students each in that 2018-2019 school year who acknowledged that they had a criminal justice history. So there's a lot of students out there that that if they if they felt comfortable in, in, in wanting, they could really use our help and our support. Right now, there's no statewide law in the state of Florida that mandates ban the box, although many counties and municipalities have different forms of ban the box for municipal employment, but there's no ban the box for private employment in the state of Florida. The most progressive state that has a ban the box statute is the state of Hawaii, where they where they have to have ban the box for municipal and private employment, and they could only go back 10 years when they do the criminal justice check. Now, whether you're pursuing education or employment, certainly I'm talking to you as the returning citizen along your reentry journey. Just try to be consistent in being confident and optimizing your second chances throughout your journey. Because some people will give you chances and others will not. Now, I've shared these stories before in different, in different episodes of, of the podcast. One episode, I, one episode I talked about this issue when I was an admissions counselor at the previous university I worked at before the current house that I work at now. In that respect, they did ask the question, and I did apply for the admissions council position, but in that application, I put that I would explain further in interview. I get the call. I go to do, do the interview. I told the story where I waited 90 minutes. I almost left, but I didn't leave. And why did I didn't leave? Because I knew that opportunity was mine. I was not going to squander that opportunity. I was going to maximize and optimize that opportunity. I wanted that opportunity, and I was going to take it away from myself. I did the interview. I did the interview. The interview went well. Because about a week or two later, I received a call from the director of admissions offering me the job. But before she offered me the job, she did acknowledge that I did put yes, that I had been convicted of a felony and that I would explain an interview. And she asked me to explain myself at that point. I told her the story of my journey and what was going on. She, we negotiated salary. She offered me the job and I worked there and I excelled there during the time I was there. In another place, when I, and, and I've told this story as well as before, when I applied at another university that, that did have their home base at a ban the box state. 
And so I did not get asked the question before. Well, before um, I, I did not get the ask the conviction question while I was applying for the job. But when I was offered the job, it was an it was an adjunct position to teach masters of business administration courses. So I really was excited about this job because I'd be teaching graduate students. I was offered the job tentatively based on the background check. Then the the district human resources office called me, said that they saw that the they saw the the criminal conviction come up and they actually explained it, gave the same explanation, and then very quickly they just sit there and rejected me. I was certainly very hurt very upset, disappointed. I felt ashamed, alone. I, you know, all the things that you go through when you're rejected for an opportunity. But like what I said, like I showed the love to my mother at the beginning of today's episode. Mom was always so smart and saying, listen, where there's life, there's hope. And what's for you is for you. And nobody could deny that. Nobody could deny what's for you. And she was so right when it came to that. So I got past it. And in the pandemic, that that institution ended up closing anyway. They certainly didn't close because of me, but certainly, you know, I would have been in that position where I would have got disappointed anyway because the institution would have closed. So when we're talking about colleges, we go through the process, whether we talk about do we accept or don't accept? Do we give these opportunities or not? But I think that whether you ban the box or not, certainly I'm, in, I'm a proponent of banning the box on college applications. We want to support through our academic advising offices. We want to make sure that we're supporting our students. And one of the things that I really appreciate that the Vice Provost of Student Services at my current institution always talks about, he always talks about the connection between academic advising and career counseling. In that respect, that's when we establish that connection with our students, where our students will talk to us about what they want to pursue, what challenges are in front of them, and, we, and they look to us as advisors to guide them through that process. As employers, we also have that opportunity. Do they accept or don't accept you? But like my mom always used to say as well, remember, whether you're trying to get into college or trying to get a job, you just need one job. You just need one college to say yes or to say no. But remember, if, if they say no, that's okay. They get, they get out your way. You only need one to say yes. You only need one to say yes to excel. You need only one to say yes to get that degree and do well in school. You only need one to say yes to do well at that job. A lot, of, a lot of employers are always worried about negligent hiring. It's like, oh, am I taking a chance? When I hire someone, are they going to do well? Are we going to do well? But as I've said in previous episodes, there's a couple of things that we should take into consideration when we're looking at someone, if you're not banning the box and they're, and they're checking off, yes. Look at the nature of the job that they're, that they're seeking. Look at the nature of the job. And then look at the nature and the gravity of the offense or the conduct. So we have to take the fear out of our minds and say, okay, what job are they applying for and what was their offense? And then look at how much time has passed since that offense. In addition, I'll always say that you wanna say, were they referred by an established job reference or an established reentry organization or agency? When I worked at the Fortune Society, there was a lot of people that worked at the Fortune Society at the time. And there, they, I would say, there, I would say, eighty to eighty-five percent of the workforce were formerly incarcerated individuals. And I could assure you, during the two years that I've worked there, and since the time I've kept in touch with people at the Fortune Society, there was never any dangerous incidents, never any violent incidents that happened there. It was a very, it was a very safe and non-hostile working environment. And how did that happen? That happened because there was a lot of proactive employee engagement employee development, employee support. 
That's the same thing that should happen at colleges and universities. A lot of proactive and very engaging student engagement, student development, student support. Because whether you're a student or an employee, this is not only for returning citizens, this is for everyone where we could create a safe job, a safe school, a safe environment, and ultimately a safe community, which is something that we could all sign up for. So once again, certainly if you wanna work with me one-on-one -on -one and let's create those safe jobs, safe schools and safe communities, whether you're that returning citizen or you're on the other side being a business or a college or university and you're looking for that help, reach out to me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or reach out to me via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, you've been blessed to see another day, which means you have been blessed with your second chance. Every moment, every minute, every second, every day, that is your second chance. So it's up to you, it's up to us to make the best of it. Remember, I love you all. Take care, and I look forward to talking to you again next week.